So, how are you doing during this time of crisis? Is it a crisis at the moment? We have been going through some very difficult times as as Christians, haven't we? Uh, Let's be honest. Churches have been closed. I, I may have heard some good things about your church not being quite so closed. <laughs> uh, but churches have been closed. People have been really struggling spiritually. It's been hard to have fellowship with Christian friends. Many Christians have been spiritually isolated and on their own. And spiritually alone. See if you haven't got Zoom and stuff like that. Some people have been frightened to leave their homes. And it has, it has been a really testing time. I think if there's one word that sums up what our nation, probably the Western world, not to mention other parts of the world, has been going through is fear. Fear of money drying up. Fear of losing your job. Fear of getting sick and dying. And people say, well, let's turn on the TV and cheer ourselves up. (laughs) And what do you find? What's the general mood of the media? Even more fear. Fear for breakfast, fear for lunch, and fear for dinner. And many Christians are struggling and many Christians feel that God is so far away. We, at the moment, are having a lovely break since Freedom Day. And things have got a bit back to normal. But if my suspicions are correct and you look at what's happening in Australia. Okay. My son is in Australia. He lives there. He's a resident of Australia, Sydney. The army is on the streets. Enforcing lockdowns. Children are being taken from their parents and and forcibly vaccinated. That's what's happened in Australia. Check it out. Now, people want to have a vaccine, that's fine, but I don't think they should be forcing your children to be vaccinated. Take them out of your arms. Have a look what's happening in France, where you you need a, a, a vaccine passport to be able to buy food in the supermarket. And people are being turned away from shops because they haven't been vaccinated. And there is a great deal of tension bordering on on rebellion in France and in Australia. And if you look at America, if you look at areas that are controlled by the Democrats, they are bringing in exactly these kind of things. If you look at areas controlled by the Republicans, most of them are trying to keep as open, open as possible. I'm not telling you to vote for whether, well, I'm just telling you life as it is. I'm telling you what's happening because if your main diet of news is the mainstream media, you will know nothing about these things. And if there is, if there is a plan, 
behind, if there was an organisation, a body that is behind all these things, pushing us in a particular direction, don't think for one moment that the United Kingdom is going to escape from it. And even if by some miracle we do, (laughs) think of Christians in other countries who may not. You may well have come to the conclusion, particularly if if darker days come, you may well come to the conclusion that it is absolutely impossible to live a consistent Christian life under these circumstances. You may even think about giving up completely. Many people have. You know, churches are reopened. <laughs> there are churches where hardly anybody's come back to the services. It's amazing. Pastors now know who they had in their congregation. They weren't real believers, but they looked like it. Many people have come to the conclusion it is impossible to live a godly life under these circumstances but if you believe it's impossible let me say let me tell you this you couldn't be more wrong it is possible and the bible is full of examples of people who experience far worse conditions than us and not only did they stand for god but they actually thrived and their spiritual life got deeper Really? Yeah, I'm mean, let me give you a couple of examples. Uh, spiritually isolated, about Elijah. Do you remember him, Elijah? 18 months he spent hiding by a brook. He, he had water. <laughs> How did he get his food? Because he was on the run from the king and queen, Ahab and Jezebel. How did he get his food? It was, it was delivered to him by ravens. His internet access was virtually nil. He was on his own. Oh, what about fear of death? Do you know about someone who, who dealt with fear of death? Every day, David, when he was in the wilderness, when he was hiding from Saul. And he lived at a time when anybody who saw him and knew where he was knew that there was a reward on his head, dead or alive. And they could become very rich by telling the king where David was. And David's hiding out in caves and things like that. And David thought he was going to die. And he felt this for many years. Did he die? No. Did, did the king get him? No. <laughs> Do you know when David fell? Do you know when David sinned and, 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 and ruined his reputation? It wasn't when he was being persecuted in the wilderness, was it? It was when he was safe at home with all his enemies defeated in the palace and he gets lazy and he gets slack and he stops having his quiet times. <laughs> and everybody going out to, to war, all the generals, everybody should have gone with him. He's now, he can't be bothered now, he's taking it easy and he looks out of the window when he should have been out on the battlefield and he sees a woman bathing, Bathsheba. That's when he fell. When it was all safety and security. So don't think your spiritual survival is going to be based on you having easy times. As one preacher said, it was, it was Stuart Ollier. God's plants thrive best in dry and arid conditions. <laughs> it's strange, but that's the way it is. 
Do you know when the church has been at its most powerful and vibrant in church history? Do you know, do you know when it has been that? When it's been persecuted. Do you know when evangelism has been at its, its height, usually? Is that when, when churches are suffering persecution? There's a church father called Tertullian. And this is what he said about, about martyrdom. He said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Don't, don't, don't think that because you're going through hard times that you, you, you have to struggle. What do you mean? Yeah, you may struggle, but you will overcome. If you walk with the Lord. You see, Elijah, you see, David. Well, let's have a look at Daniel and his friends. What was Daniel going through? Well, have a look at Daniel chapter 1 with me. Just scan your eyes over the first couple of verses. What's happened there? Well, let me, let me, read. Let me read to you. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it, and the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. What's happening? A great international powerful army has come to little old Israel and defeated them in battle. They've, in three waves, took hundreds of thousands of Jews from Judea and they had to go and live in Babylonian territory, Babylonian regions. They're deported. It's imagine the, the, the Chinese invaded and took us to go and live in Shanghai or something like that. That's what happened to Daniel. This is a serious business. God of the Jews had been defeated. That's what it looked like. It looked like the God of the Jews was powerless and it looked like they'd chosen the wrong religion. Because if you judge success by numbers, who had the numbers here? Who had the success here? It was the Babylonian gods, wasn't it? The gods of Nebuchadnezzar. He looked all over for Israel. This, what happened to Israel, had happened to loads of nations. And do you know what was true of every one of them except Israel? None of them ever came back to their homeland. But Israel did. He looked at the time, he looked all over for Israel. And... We read about Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Who can tell me, what age were these young men when they got taken to Babylon? Any ideas? 14 years old. That's what the commentators tell us. 14 years old. Anybody here 14? No? Who look young. It's great to look young. Don't worry about it. 14 years old. Separated from their parents. Separated from their pastors. These are godly men, godly young men. Separated from home, separated from everything. And what happens to them? They get taken to, to Babylon where they are, first of all, tempted. They're told that if they play the game, they're going to go to university for three years to be indoctrinated, a bit like university over, over here these days. Three years of indoctrination 
to become a good Babylonian. And if you play the game, you are going to be rich. You're going to be powerful. Happy days if you, if, you, if you fit in with the regime. If you don't fit in the regime, what's going to happen to you? If you're a bit awkward. There's fiery furnaces in Babylon. There's lion's dens in Babylon. Because the, 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 the chap who was looking after Daniel and, he, and, and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego um, are worried about, he's worried about them eating their dinner and looking a bit thin. If they look a bit thin, what's going to happen to him? He's going to have his head chopped off. This is the kind of place they were living. Temptation or give, give in to that or face death. Talk about, talk about re-education. If you look at verse, verses 6 to 7, did you see there the, the name changes that they were given? Yeah? We can just skip over these things. We, we don't really understand what's, uh, what's being said. They're changing their identity here. They're trying to change their identity. Don't think of yourself as a Jew. Start thinking of yourself as a Babylonian. Daniel, his name is God has judged. That's what Daniel means. And his name gets changed to Belteshazzar, which is keeper of the hidden treasures of the god Bel. Hananiah, his name means Jehovah, Yahweh, has been gracious. It's changed to Shadrach, which is the servant of the Babylonian god Marduk. Mishael. Do you, do you know what that name means? Anybody here called Michael? Well, there's at least one Michael. It means, who is like God? His name is changed to Meshach, which means servant of the god Venus. And Azariah means Jehovah has helped, and his name is changed to Abednego, servant of the Babylonian god Nebo. Forget you are a Jew. Israel is finished. Judah is finished. Compromise. Get with the program and let the good times roll. That's what they faced. You think you had it hard? Remember this, not only did Daniel and his friends survive, but they thrived spiritually. Not only did they survive, they had great experiences of God. Some of the greatest experiences of God that a human being has had have been had by these young men in, uh, while they were in Babylon. While they were in the fire. Or while they were in the lion's den. I want us to focus on, on Daniel and, 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 his, and his friends, but particularly on Daniel. And, because I want to ask this question this morning. What is the secret of their success? How is it that Daniel and his three friends were able to live such a godly and upright life under such terrible circumstances? How was it possible? What was the secret of their success? Well... Okay. It'll be pages in the right order here. Did they have some special blessing that made them immune to temptation? Do you think that? 
the Lord must have given them a sort of bit of a bit of a spiritual leg up. We read nothing about a spirit, particular spiritual blessing helping them to deal with their situation. They had no more than any other Jew had. And in fact, if you look at the amount of spiritual blessing people had in the Old Testament, what is that like compared to what we have in the New Testament? Remember the day of Pentecost? In the Old Testament, you had a measure of the power of the Holy Spirit, a bit like having a, a glass of water. Kept you going. After Pentecost, do you know the resources that are available to you as a Christian? Do you know what, how the Lord Jesus described them? Rivers of water. Daniel had the glass. We've got the rivers. Daniel stood with a glass of water. They only had the same spiritual advantages and opportunities as, as the other Jews. What were they? Prayer and the Bible. That was all they had. Throw in fellowship as well because there's four of them. <laughs> Prayer and the Bible is all they had to keep going and a much smaller measure of the power of the Holy Spirit available to them than, than we have. That's all they had. How were Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego able to keep going? For two reasons. They said their prayers and they read their Bibles. And there is sufficient power in those two things, if handled properly, to keep you going through the worst crisis that you can imagine. Did you know that? Let's have a look. They said their prayers. Now, get your Bible open here. I'll give you some examples just from the text to Daniel. There's four things you can say about Daniel's prayer life. Number one, he was a man of private prayer. Have a look at Daniel chapter 6, verses 10 and 11. You remember what's happened? There's been a, a law passed that nobody is allowed to worship anyone except the king for 30 days, a month without worshipping God, a month without your quiet times. Verse, verse 10 and 11. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home and in his upper room with his windows open <laughs> towards Jerusalem. He's not going to hide. He's a, he's a believer. He's not going to have his quiet times in, in secret. He knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as was his custom since early days. He prayed three times a day, like a good Jew, when he was, since, he was a, since he was a child. And he said, nothing is going to stop me from doing that. And Daniel would rather be eaten by lions than to give up his quiet time for one day. How serious are you about your private devotions? Do you have any? Do you have a daily quiet time? Daniel was a man... Of private prayer. Daniel was a man of corporate prayer. That is, he was a man of, of prayer meetings. Have a look at chapter 2, verses 16 to 18, Daniel 2. 
verse 16 to 18. Remember, God has revealed Nebuchadnezzar's dream to Daniel. So Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time that he might tell the king the interpretation. Then Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah, his companions, that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning this secret so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men in Babylon. He's in trouble. What does he do? He gets together with as many Christians as he can, and he seeks the Lord for help. He doesn't just pray on his own. He has prayer meetings. Do you go to your church prayer meeting? Don't put your your hands up. I don't know. I'm not having to go at anybody. Do you know, these days, prayer meetings have gone on to Zoom, haven't they? I know not everybody's got access to Zoom or technological ability. But do you know this? That even though, even though you don't have to leave your home now to go to a prayer meeting, even though you don't even have to get changed out of your pyjamas, you still cannot get people to turn up to prayer meetings. That is how little supposed Christians think of prayer. What's the secret of Daniel's success? He was a man of personal prayer and he was a man of prayer meetings. And he was a man of prayer meetings. Do you know when this has happened? When, when these, these young men were in their late teens. Anybody here in their late teens? No, you ladies look as though you're in your late teens, aren't you? I know. Any, anybody here in the late teens? I'll take the glasses off to, to see. Teenagers at a prayer meeting? When does that happen? Looking at teenagers. <laughs> if you're not a Christian, then I'm not expecting you to turn up at a prayer meeting. If you are a Christian, I expect everybody to turn up at a prayer meeting, if they can. Not everybody can turn up to every meeting. I fully understand that. Work and family responsibilities. But my friends, if the days are going to get as dark as I think they, they will be, you will treasure prayer. You will treasure having people to pray with. Start now. So he's a man of private prayers, a man of prayer meetings. He is a man who takes prayer seriously. He's a man of prayer and fasting. Have a look at chapter 9, Daniel 9, verses 3 and 4. He's come to what happened to him in a minute. He's read Jeremiah and he's got some good news out of Jeremiah. He's excited. So he decides he's going to pray. He says, Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make request by prayer and supplication with fasting, sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, Oh Lord, great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments. We have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. This man is in earnest about the the future of his people. He's in earnest about his own spiritual survival. So what does he do? I don't understand how, how, how fasting works. Be quite honest. It's always been a mystery to me. 
Well, you know what this fasting says to God? The minimum. That your kingdom is more important than my dinner. That's the minimum, it says. And you know, you read through the Bible, you see the people who fasted, overwhelmingly, got what they asked for. When was the last time we had a fast? Back in the days of the Puritans, they had national fast days, national days of prayer. So he's a man of private prayer, he's a man of prayer, uh, of prayer meetings, he's a man of prayer and fasting, and he is a man of fervent prayer. He puts his heart and soul into what he's doing. Have a look at chapter 9, verses 16 to 19. I think you've already seen something of his passion in the words that we've, we've, we've read before. But look at verses 16 to 19. I'm going to try and read them with a bit of expression. O Lord, according to all your righteousness, I pray, let your anger and your fury be turned from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain, because of our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers. Jerusalem and your people are a reproach to all those who are around us. Now, therefore, our God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplications. And for the Lord's sake, Cause your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate, temples in ruins back home. Oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city which is called by your name. For we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. Oh Lord, hear. Oh Lord, forgive. Oh Lord, listen and act. Do not delay. For your own sake, my God, and for your city and your people who are called by your name. Can you imagine what it must have been like to be in a prayer meeting with Daniel? Do you know, most, most of you folks here are not English. Thank God for that. You know what we are, Reformed Baptists? What they call us? The chosen frozen. We can turn a prayer meeting into a refrigerator. Pray like Daniel did. You know what his, what his chief concern is about is that the, the name of God is regarded, God is regarded as, as pathetic and that his, his time is over and that his people are, 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 are unimportant. Do you know what? It, it, it places in America, and I think places over here, where they were closing down churches, but they were keeping abortion centres open because they were essential. Churches are not regarded as essential. Why are churches not regarded as essential? Because we don't live like Christians should. And we don't have the power of the Holy Spirit in us that is available to us. And Christians. Christians don't, don't, don't care about church either. Suppose Christians. They come when they think they will. Fantastic, don't know how to go to church. Let's put Zoom on. Watch it on Zoom. Stay in my pyjamas, have a coffee. Uh, I, don't want to, I don't want to pass it to see what I look like. Let's, let's turn the video camera off. Oh, I've been to church, that's fine. Where's Netflix? Is, is that what we've turned into? Forgive me, I'm getting passionate. I'm getting passionate. Oh, it is unusual for an Englishman. I understand this. <laughs> 
he said their prayers. My friends, do you pray? And do you pray like Daniel prayed? You pray like Daniel prayed, you will have Daniel's power. And you will get through whatever they throw at you. Even if it's a lion's den or a fiery furnace. Number two. He read his Bible. You remember the Bible, don't you? You That book that's on your bedside lockers, covered in dust. You remember that one? That's what it's like. That's what the Bible's like for many people who call themselves Christians. They did a survey in America some years ago about how often people who go to church read their Bible. Do you know, 70% of those polled said that they didn't read their Bible in between the Sunday services. And they've only read (laughs) Sunday because it's part of the service. Daniel read his Bible. I'll turn to Daniel chapter 9, verse 1 and 2. He was familiar. All he had, by the way, was his Old Testament and not even all of the Old Testament. Okay? You, you, do, you, do you think much of the Old Testament? God, oh I'll skip in that. I'll, I'll get straight on to Matthew chapter 1. Oh, man. What are we missing? Look at, look at Daniel 1 and 2. He, he's been, what book has he been studying immediately prior to his prayer? Jeremiah. Are you familiar with Jeremiah? Does it get you going, Jeremiah? <laughs> Did Daniel? Have a look. 9 verse 1 to 2. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ashurheras, of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realms of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books, the number of years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. They were in exile in Babylon, but they were only going to stay there 70 years. And he says, 70 years? The time's nearly up. Time's nearly up. He's so excited about reading Jeremiah. But have a look at Daniel 9 verse 11. Joe Wells, he loves the law of Moses. Verse 11. Yes, all Israel has transgressed your law and has departed so as not to obey your voice. Therefore, the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against him. The law. Who knows what the law is? First five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. How does that, how does that grab you, studying that? You think, oh my word, this, this must be something a bit more racy that I can study than, than those first five. He loved his law. Do you know what happens to you if you study the law of God? Do you know what happens to you if you study Genesis? Do you know what blessings are there? You study the first few chapters of Genesis, what do you find out about, the, about God? That he is the creator. That this planet is his. That we answer to him, all of us. 
that we, that we owe our existence as the human race to the fact that God breathed life into Adam. That makes God look very big and it makes us look very small. And we live in a, an age where we, we think of God as very small and politicians and presidents and kings and rulers as very big. What else do you get if you look at uh, Genesis? Uh, God does not mess around with people who rebel against him. What do you get? Genesis chapter 6, what do you see? The flood. How many people out of mankind, I mean, there must have been millions, how many people out of mankind were saved from the flood by getting on the ark? Eight. Daniel reads Genesis, he reads God is God who's not going to mess about. You get to chapter 19, what do you find? Story of Sodom and Gomorrah. The godless immorality, sexual perversion of that place. One preacher said, if, if, God, if God does not judge Britain, he, he will have to apologise to Sodom and Gomorrah. That's how bad it's getting over here. God destroyed it with fire and brimstone from heaven. Where else would he get from looking at Genesis? Well, he'd come across the example of Joseph. He didn't have three friends. He had nobody. He had an 11-year stretch as a slave and as a prisoner. And yet he still stood for God. When's the last time you read Genesis? What about Exodus? What would you find if you read Exodus? Well, if you had a look at the Ten Commandments, what would you find? That God is holy. He does not mess about. And Daniel read Ten Commandments, what did he read? Don't worship other gods, don't get involved in idolatry. And what do we read in Daniel chapter 1? That's exactly what he's told to do. Eat this food that had been offered to Babylonian gods. Just join in with the name change. He's been reading Exodus. He's also been reading the food laws, hasn't he? He's not going to com- compromise on the food. And what else does he, does he read? If he reads Exodus, who ends up floating in the floating home in the Red Sea? Pharaoh and his army. When God's people are delivered, and and who is Daniel living under? He's living under a Pharaoh. He's not called Pharaoh though, is he? He's Nebuchadnezzar. God can bring rulers and and, and authorities crashing down, and he can deliver his. People, that is really great to know if you're living in Babylon. And that's just two books, that's, that's the first two. But he also reads the prophets, doesn't he? Have a look at uh, verse 6, chapter 9, verse 6. Neither have we heeded your servants, the prophets, who spoke your name. To our kings and our princes, to our fathers and all the people of the land. Are you familiar with the prophets? Are you familiar with Isaiah? Are you familiar with, with Ezekiel? You know, if you're familiar with Isaiah, do, do you know how heartening that would be? Turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah 40. Because you know what Isaiah tells you? The Messiah is coming. In the Old Testament, he told them that the Messiah was coming the first time. When you read the New Testament, what are you told? That the Messiah is coming back the second time. He's re- look, look at Isaiah 40. He 
It's just God speaking to, to, to his people who were, who were just about to come back from a Babylonian exile. Comfort, yes, comfort my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she has received double from the Lord's hand, double for all her sins. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. Who's this about? John the Baptist, isn't it? The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And have a look at verse 10. Behold, the Lord God shall come with a strong hand and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his work is before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and lead and gently lead those who are with young. What, when, what does Daniel think when he reads Isaiah? I've got a hold on. I've got to hold the line. I've got to keep faithful. I've got to keep the remnant going because Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he's got to have people to come to. He grits his teeth. He eats his vegetables. <laughs> he drinks his water. And he says, I'm holding on, Lord. Help me. That's what we've got to do. Where else would you read... Uh, you learn if you read uh, the Old, Old Testament. You'd, you'd come across the Psalms, wouldn't you? Turn to Psalm 2. Are you familiar with Psalm 2? Do you know that Psalm 2 has got four references to Jesus Christ in it? I haven't got something to go in it, it, it really deserves your, your particular attention. But, but, but you know, I'm just going to read it because it's very short. But you know what it ends up with? Judgment Day. He's coming to judge the earth. Look at Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel against the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, that means Yahweh, covenant name for God, and against his anointed. you know what that word anointed means? Translate it into Greek. What do you get? Greek. So it's Christ. Translate it into Hebrew. What you got? Messiah. There's a rebellion taking place in the world against the Lord and against his Messiah. One mention of Jesus here. Saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king. This is talking about Jesus here. The father speaking about the son. On my holy hill of Zion. I place him as the head of my people. And this is, this is the son speaking. This is the Messiah speaking. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son today. I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance. This is a gospel's going to go out after Pentecost and the Gentiles are going to get saved. The nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. What a day that's going to be when it appears in the clouds. And it comes back and it means business. 
Look at verses 10 to 12. This is David's advice to the kings of the earth who at this moment in time are taking absolutely no notice of him whatsoever. In fact, breaking, trying to break every law he gave and enshrining disobedience into their own constitutions. This is what he says. Now therefore be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun. Kiss his feet. <laughs> Lest he be angry and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. This is the Old Testament that we've been neglecting for donkey's years. We've got to love the Old Testament. Because Christ is in it. Page after page after page. That's all Daniel had. And we've got the New Testament as well. So what's the secret of success? Number one, he, read, he said his prayers. Number two, he read his Bible. So as I finish now, let me ask you. How are you going to stand for God in what's coming? How are you going to stand? Can I give you some advice? Forget Netflix. Forget Netflix. That is not going to help you. Forget entertainment. Forget endless takeaways to cheer yourself up when you're in your next lockdown. Or have them all in very small portions. What you will need to get through is Bible study and listening to preaching. What you will need to get through to get yourself through is prayer like Daniel prayed. And do you know what else? These things like petrol stations, think of them as petrol stations on the road to heaven. You check into the Bible, you get your tank filled. You start praying, you get your tank filled. You know what else you've got as a petrol station? Fellowship, treasure Christians. If you can't contact them on Zoom, you can't meet in person, speak to them via carrier pigeon or whatever you have available. But do not neglect fellowship with each other. It is not a luxury. It's a petrol station. Do you know what else is a petrol station? Serving God in evangelism. Sharing the gospel. Have you ever witnessed to someone, and you may not feel you've done great, but how do you feel when you're finished? As if the Lord has stood by you, put his arm on your shoulder and said, well done. And you feel the hair on the fucking neck stand up. You ever have had that experience? Petrol stations. You want to be filled with spiritual fuel? These are the things the Lord has given you. You want power to stand? That's where that power will come from. Daniel says to us, are you going through hard times? Here are the tools to use. To get through. But the question is. Will you? Do you know what comes immediately before Jesus' second coming? The great falling away. Will you stand? There's no poem. Finish with this back, Daniel. Dare to be a Daniel. Dare to stand alone. Dare to have a purpose true. 
dare to make it known. Thank you for listening.